0: You'll see the song fits with what we're doing tonight. It'll come up later. Keep those words in mind. Before we start tonight, I'm going to remind you of something. Some of you will be extremely frustrated tonight. You got that? Some of you are already frustrated because you came expecting to be in the book of Revelation and you're not. You think you got the bait and switch. Sorry. Secondly, we're probably not going to wrap this up in a nice, neat package tonight. You always come, you come to a sermon expecting it all to be in a nice, neat package, don't you? Everything there, it's probably not all going to be there. We may not even get over the whole handout tonight, if you've got a handout. If you didn't, they out in the back. So you're just going to have to, you can't make it next week. You're going to have to get the message off the web or something to get the rest of the answers, because we're not going to cover it all tonight. But we're talking about the idea of success. If I ask most of you tonight, if you wanted to be successful, my guess would be everybody would say, sure, I want to be successful, right? Because we're a nation and a culture that is obsessed with personal success and what that success means. Now, different people have different ideas of what it means. Here's one here. Call it a picture of a horse, made it to the fridge. That's success. Right? Or how about this? A successful man is one who makes more money than his wife can spend. A successful woman is one who can find such a man. And only some of you older will like this third one. Fell in a bathtub, didn't break hip. That's success. Interesting. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll get to it in a second. If I ask you how the world defines success, we would find a lot of different ways they defined it. Many different ways, but used to the same theme, which is interesting. I just went on the web and pulled some off. Definitions of success is what I did. And this is some of the stuff that came up. Success is understanding you control your destiny. Or success is knowing your life is filled with abundance. Success is taking care of your needs. You see a common theme that's going through these? Success is believing you can or you can do it. Here's kind of the summary. There is only one success. To be able to spend your life in your own way. Now some of you are looking at and say, "Well, pff, those unspiritual people, they don't know what it is." What's interesting, I find most Christians will define success pretty much in the same ways. They may use more spiritual terms, but pretty much is going to come out with the same idea of what success really is. We'll talk about that in a few moments with what the world's idea of success means to us. But if I ask you, what are the keys the world would say would lead to success? All right, if you, if you follow these things, if you do this way, you're going to be successful. Call out loud, what are some of the keys that almost in the world's mind guarantee success? What do you got to do? Okay, get more money. Okay? Work, you gotta be the hardest worker there ever is, right? Climb the ladder. I added a few hard work, self motivation, desire. You gotta have a drive to succeed. Interesting. Think of these characteristics. When I put these two names up on the screen, By those characteristics, which one was most successful? Who had more drive to succeed? Who did everything he could to get what he wanted? Who gave up whatever he had to, whoever he had to, to get what he determined was success? Judas, didn't he? Peter, not so much. I remind you of this verse from Scripture. Jesus is talking about acquiring money, and he says this in Luke 16:15, "For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The way the world prizes, the way the world says to do things, is not the way God says to do things. And yet it's interesting how often we adopt the same philosophy, the same methods, the same beliefs. And think it's okay. Here's your question to think about. How will you determine what will make your life successful? Or narrow it down even more. How will you determine what will make tomorrow successful? When you get to the end of the day tomorrow and you look back, what to you will make for a successful day? What will make for a successful week? A successful year? Ultimately, a successful life. And again, interesting. Believers and unbelievers doesn't matter. If I ask the same question, what will make a successful day tomorrow? I'll probably get almost all the same answers. Wonder why that is. You're in Proverbs 3. Kind of a summary passage of kind of summarizes where we're going to go, and we're going to see how we get there. Proverbs 3 1 to 8 kind of tells us what would God consider success. As we read through this, look at this. Solomon says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. that sound like success to you? Yeah. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And sounds like success. He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Interesting list, isn't it? How does God maybe view success? Starts out with keep His commandments. Steadfast love and faithfulness. It is not just in the sight of man. It's also in the sight of God. You have to trust in the Lord with all your heart, not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. And in each of these entrances, he keeps saying, this is what brings success, success, success. And we look at this list and I think, just like you, how do I get there? How do I get to this list? How do I accomplish this? Because this is a whole different picture than what I'm talked about in the world with success. And that's what we're going to look at this week and next week. How do we get to the way God views success? Turn back to Joshua chapter 1. Some of you in Quintanilla will say, I remember some of this stuff since we've been studying Joshua. We'll see if you remember it. But there's a man in Scripture who desired success and gives us an example of what that means. So we start with the reality of his life. This is about Joshua. After the death of Moses, verse 1, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I have given to them, to the people of Israel. All right, here's the reality of Joshua's life right now. Number one, guess what, Joshua? Moses is dead. Number two, what you have to do is arise and go over the Jordan. And he's already been told in Deuteronomy chapter 31, and guess what, Joshua? You're now the leader. That reality has come. You were told when Moses dies, you're going to be the leader. So now here's the reality. This is what you have to do. What's Joshua's reaction to that going to be? Just look at verse 6. You'll see a phrase was sung to us be strong and courageous verse 7 only be strong and very courageous verse 9 be strong and courageous what evidently was joshua's frame of mind not good He evidently has some fears coming up here because he's being reminded at least three times in nine verses you've got to get over this. Now, here's an easy question because you can figure this out. What did Joshua have to be afraid of? Call out some of the things and I'll go over my list. What do you think Joshua had to be afraid of? Failure. Well, that's a nice way to put it. We'll do that last. Okay? After Moses. What else he got to be afraid of? You have to use your outdoor voice. Okay? He was one of the spies, wasn't he? He'd seen who was in the land. Even though he was one of the ones who said, we can take this land, he knew what it was about. What else do you have to be afraid of? Okay? All right. He really has a lot of things to be afraid of, doesn't he? He's taking the place of Israel's greatest leader and having to become the boss. That's a tough thing. He's been in the second role, the assistant role, not the first role, and now all of a sudden he's being chucked into the leader's role. We're disappearing all over the place. He has to carry out God's Word to the letter. Moses couldn't do it. You understand that? Why didn't Moses get to go into the Promised Land? He didn't do one thing God told him. Instead of telling them why the water's come out of the rock, he took credit for it. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And God says, you did not give me the glory. Guess what? You don't go in. One mistake kept him out. You think Joshua's not a little afraid of that? He's the one having to talk to God face-to-face now. Where before this, it's only been Joshua. He's got to lead a new military. He's got to lead a million or so people, and they're such nice people, aren't they? They're just like us. They don't complain. They do everything you tell them. But some of you already figured out the biggest thing he had to be afraid of. He's not sure he's prepared for what he's been asked to do. He's concerned about his success. Look at verse 7. It's going to be mentioned. End of verse 7, that you may have good success wherever you go. End of verse 8, and then you will have, make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua is concerned with success. Success. Up until this point, the children of Israel have failed. They couldn't go into the land. Moses failed in one thing, couldn't go into the land. And so Joshua's wondering, what's going to be success? What do I have to do? How do I get past this? He's afraid. I remind you guys in the Bible, men and ladies in the Bible are just like us. They're not spiritual giants. They deal with the same things we do when they face the realities of life. They have the same kind of reactions we have. And so here's a reminder to that. We're frozen, Howard, just so you know. Question, does God understand our fears? Yes or no? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 4. I'll read to you. For we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand our weaknesses, but He was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. So what are we told then to do? So go to the throne of grace to ask for mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Does He understand our need, our fears, our weaknesses? Psalm 103 says He remembers our frame that we are dust. So, understand, there's nothing about us that God doesn't understand. Jesus has been through everything we've been through, only He did it without sin, so He understands the ability to do that. So, here in Joshua 1 1, how does God deal with Moses or Joshua's fears to start with? Number one, He speaks to Him personally. We just read that in verse 1. Question Does God speak to us personally? Yes or no? All the time. How many times you've been reading scripture, or somebody's been teaching, and it's like it's right focused at you, like it's talking right at you? You've been there. Who do you think's doing that? God speaking to you personally. You're saying, "How's that guy up there know what I'm going through?" We have no clue, but God knows. He speaks to you through His Word. He speaks to you through other people sharing His Word. He speaks to you through circumstances. His Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit. That still small voice inside. When we're fearful, God's always speaking. We just got to listen. So God speaks to him personally. And here's the first thing He reminds him. Verse 1, He says, After the death of Moses, the servant... Of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses, it says assistant, but it's Moses' servant. First thing he reminds him is, here's what Moses was called to be, and here's what you're called to be. You're called to be a servant. That's all you got to worry about. You don't have to worry about leading a million or so people. What you have to decide is, can you be a servant? If you read the last chapter of Joshua when he dies, That's what Joshua's called. Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died. He figured this one out. But here's the first reminder about success. Success comes from doing what God has told us to do or being what God has told us to be. It's not going to come from doing what I want to do and not going to come from being what I want to be. we're looking at biblical success. And he's reminding Joshua of that first thing. Your job, Joshua, first off, is to be what I'm telling you to be. And for you, that's a sermon. Second thing here, he's very pointed. Question Did Joshua know Moses was dead? Yes or no? Just shake your head this way. So, why does God say to him, Moses is dead? (laughs) Got to be a reason, doesn't there? Here's the reason. Moses is dead, you get up and go. Don't worry about Moses. You just do what I'm asking you to do. Because we tend to m- measure our success in comparison to everybody else around us, don't we? And Joshua's first thought going to be, how do I compare to Moses? And God's saying, don't worry about Moses. I don't compare you to Moses. It's between you and me, not to anybody else. I don't compare you to the person sitting next to you, the person in front of you, the person behind you. A lot of pastors have a problem with their churches. They compare their churches to what somebody else is doing. Oh, we're not as successful as that church. What a dumb thing to do. That's not what God does. And so you want a comforting thing about success? This is it. God doesn't compare you to anybody else. You don't have to worry about how anybody else looks for to find your view of success. And Joshua didn't either. Look at verses 3-6. to What's the third thing he does for him? To reassure him as he's got this fear about success. Verse 3, Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Did you notice every verse contains a promise of God? Just as I promised Moses, no man will be able to stand before you. As I was with Moses, I'll be with you. You shall cause this people to inherit the land. What more do you want but God's promises? Here's the reminder. Our success depends on knowing His promises. We have to know what God will do and what He won't do. What He hasn't promised to do. But if I don't know His promises, if I don't understand how God's going to act and react, I don't know what success is. Do you know God's promises, yes or no? Well, let's find out. I'm going to give you two minutes. To anybody around you, some of you have to move. You're sitting in the far beyond reaches. You're going to have to come find somebody to talk to. In two minutes, I want to see how many promises of God you can share with each other. You got that? You ready? And don't talk about anything else. Promises from God's Word that God promises to do something. Ready? Go. Go. Your time's running out. Talk fast. All right, your time's up. And here's my question. Some of you probably ran out in the first 10 seconds. Because the other person shared the only one you knew. Do you understand in Scripture it is estimated there are 5,000 promises of God? Which means if you couldn't think of too many, what should you do? Start studying them. Because these are so important to understand God's view of success. And what success means. They really are. That's why he put, goes through all these promises with Joshua. I'll share a few with you. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Can I remind you of something from that that we probably won't talk about until next week? Commit your way to the Lord, and everything will work out the way you want it to work out. Not what he says, does it? It says, his promises. he'll bring forth your righteousness. Yeah, a little different picture, isn't it? The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned it, so it shall be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. If God has decreed it, will it change? The answer is never. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Isaiah 40, a lot of you know this one. They who wait upon for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How about this in Romans 10? For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. How do I know how God will act if I don't know His promises? And the first thing here he's reminding Joshua is, with his promises, here's the ones, Joshua, you can count on. Now, to give you a little heads up for next week also, when Joshua forgets these promises, he has problems. And he will, a couple of times, forget God's promises. That's why we have to remember them. We have to study them. We have to learn them. We have to keep reminding ourselves of them. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. One of the promises he promises here is his presence. As he reassures him, he says, I will be with you. That's something we need to remember, because if you don't remember that, you will not have success. Now, that we talked about this one in Koinonia this morning. Some of you were in there. This is both a comforting thing and a frightening thing. You got that? It's a frightening thing in the way if I know He's always there with me, He's seeing everything I'm doing. That can be a little frightening, isn't it? If I'm not doing things the way I'm supposed to. But it's supposed to be more comforting, isn't it? That no matter what's going on, I know He's always right there. Right with me. Should I be afraid? Interesting, these verses in Philippians. You know Philippians 4, 6 and 7. When you're anxious, right? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you notice the first letter of do at the beginning, it's a small d, which means we're in the middle of a section. And most of us forget why we should be, not be anxious for anything, why we should be praying. And it's found in verses 4 and 5 right in front of it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonables be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Why then am I not anxious for anything? Why then do I pray? Because I remind myself, God is always with me. That should make my anxiety go a different direction. It should turn it to prayer. It should turn it to reminding myself of what God will do. And that's the same thing he's telling Joshua here. You have to remember... And he says it a number of times, if you paid attention to that, you have to remember, I will be with you just like I was with Moses. I'll be with you everywhere you go. But then you get to verse 6, which we at least read the phrase from. And we see something that looks like it doesn't quite fit here. Because it looks like the requirement is, God says, I'm going to do all these things. I've called you to do this. I've made, you, made made all these promises to you. I'm going to be with you all the time. Oh, by the way, you have to do this yourself. Be strong and courageous. You have to be stronger and tougher than anybody else. Is that what he's saying? That's what it looks like. If you want an interesting phrase to study, in the Old Testament especially, study this be strong and courageous because it comes up over and over again and it's almost always in two contexts. It's almost always attached to two things all the time. Here's the first one in Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Notice what it's tied to. Why should I be strong and courageous? Because the Lord is with me. And almost most of the time, that's what that phrase is tied to in the Old Testament. But it's also tied to this. 1 Kings 2.2. Talking to Solomon, David says, Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways, keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies. I have to be strong and tough and figure it all out myself, right? No, it's also connecting the Old Testament with His commands, His statutes, understanding your job is to be strong enough to do what He says, not to figure it out yourself, not to tough it out yourself. Not to do it on your own. It has nothing to do with that. And we tend to think it is. Well, I couldn't do that because I wasn't strong enough. That's wrong. That's not what it's talking about. Look at Joshua 23. Just flip over there. We'll be back. You'll see the same thing in Joshua 23.6. Where Joshua says this, Therefore, and again, he gets this from chapter 1. Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it, neither the right hand nor to the left. Again, notice what it's tied to. Be strong and do what God says. That's what it's tied to. So here's what it's not. Being strong and courageous is, number one, not the power of positive thinking. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Right? The little engine that could... That's what we think it is sometimes. I have to have mental ability to show I can do this. No, it's not what it is. It's not being tougher or braver than anybody else. I got to be a real man. I got to show them who's boss. That's not what it's talking about. Here's an interesting passage from Luke 17. Jesus tells the disciples something. He says, If somebody sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, we're not strong enough. Give us more faith. If somebody sins against me seven times in a day, I'm not strong enough to handle that. you got to make me stronger to do this. And so notice the next verse. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give you stronger faith, right? No. If you guys even had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. You don't need more faith. You've got plenty of faith because your faith is not where it's at. It's not how strong your faith is, it's how strong your God is that you have faith in. You just have to be strong enough to do what God's Word says and put that into action. That's all you need. And I'm with you to help you do that. So don't misunderstand here when he's telling Joshua, be strong and courageous. He's not telling Joshua, oh, now you've got to go on your own and do this. No. He's reminding him, it kind of takes guts to do what God says. It's going to go against the flow to do what God says. It's going to go against the crowd to do what God says. Now you realize Joshua has some experience in this, doesn't he? Forty years earlier, he and Caleb were the only two who would stand up and say, we can go, we think we can do this. We think God can do this through us. And so God's reminding the same thing here. Joshua, if you want success, you're going to have to stand up against everything else that goes against what I say. And that takes a little bit of courage. Because even your own people sometimes are going to turn on you. You realize all the Israelites wanted to stone Caleb and Joshua. They wanted to kill them. I mean, our own Christian brothers will say, what are you doing? Yep. Yep. Be strong and courageous. Well, how do we work on this? That's how God initially helps Joshua with his fears. So what do we have to work on to pursue what God's going to say about success here? And the first thing I'm going to remind you is this. You have to ignore the world's view of success. You have to ignore the world's view of success because it's not God's view. The world's view of success is this. You were successful if you got what you wanted. You were successful if you you got the payoff that you were looking for, if you got the outcome that you wanted. If things worked the way you want them to work, if things worked so it benefited you more than somebody else, then you were successful, right? The world would say yes. If I go to a grocery store and I pick the line that moves faster... That was successful. You clowns had to wait for that slow cashier. We made it through. Really, that was success? The world would say yes. Success means you got what you wanted to get. What happened was best for you. Remember I asked you, how we determine if your day tomorrow is successful? I'll ask you that again next week. What will you say that makes that day successful? Well, if everything worked out great for me, it was a great day. That's the world's idea of success, not God's. The world will say failure is not a success. If what you did looked like a failure, we're not talking disobeying God and deliberately sinning, and now we're talking. But if what you did didn't look like a f- success in people's eyes, it was not a success. Look at this one. Forget about the consequences of failure. Failure is only a temporary change in direction to set you straight for your next success. Failure is just failure. Or how about this one? Somebody rep- recognized the name Robert Shuler. Failure doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means you haven't succeeded yet. Really? Here's a question. Does God ever use failure? Does God ever use failure? Here's a verse some of you like. You like Jeremiah 20 and 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. We like to quote that one, don't we? Have you ever read the context of that verse? He's sending Israel into 70 years of exile when he says that verse. Well, that looks like a real success, doesn't it? No, it doesn't at all, because God's view is not the same as the world's view. We tend to believe this, that success is the ultimate sign that we chose correctly, that if we made a decision that we think honors God, that God then will honor us with success, that he'll make it work out exactly the way we want it to work. Sorry, that's the world's view, that's not God's view. Success is no guarantee against perceived failure. Look at this one. It's possible to make a wise choice and have a bad outcome because making good choices does not guarantee an outcome we will love. You've been studying the book of Revelation on Sunday night. Who's the author of that? John. Where was he? In exile. Failure? Looks like it. The other apostles were all martyred. Failure? The apostle Paul was jailed and martyred. Failure? Jesus was crucified. Are those successes in God's eyes or failures? See, we tend to think if I make the right choices, everything should work out the way I think they should work out, and if they don't, it wasn't successful. Again, that's the world's view. Look at this phrase. We have a responsibility to do everything we can to make godly choices and obey God's commands. But our obedience does not guarantee immediate success, only that a day will come that we will not regret that choice. You like that phrase? That's why we have verses like these in Scripture. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. It may not look good to everybody else because we made the choice of doing what God wanted, but God says, I'm working that for your good. The Apostle Paul, right, in 2 Corinthians 12, was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, it should leave me. But he says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I boast all the more gladly in weaknesses. You like how it just disappears? We're back. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution and calamities. Does that look like success to you? But then he says the last line, "This is success. For when I'm weak, says that I'm strong, he's really saying, "Then Christ is strong. That's the success." If I'm going to understand success, I have to ignore the world's view of it. I have to have a totally different mindset. That's why he told Joshua, you have to be strong and courageous because I'm going to ask you to do things that goes against what everybody else thinks. And that will be success if you do that. No matter what it looks like to anybody else. We have to ignore the world's view of success and involve ourselves in God's view of success. Because God's idea of success is this. You do what He wants. It's a process. It's not a payoff. It's a process. It's not an outcome. It's obedience. That's God's idea of success. No matter what the outcome looks like, He wants us to involve ourselves in a process. We'll start looking at that process now. We'll finish it next week. Look at verses 7 to 9. Chapter 1 of Joshua, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What's the process God wants Joshua to follow and wants us to follow to understand what makes for success in God's eyes? The first is the word discern. He says in verse 7, to do according to the law. Verse 8, be careful to do according to what is written in it. We must do according to God's Word. We must know and understand God's Word. There is no shortcut for this. We have to study it more and more. This is the first key to success in God's eyes. He uses this phrase in verse 8, you're supposed to meditate on God's Word day and night. The word meditate is the Hebrew word for mutter. How many of you talk to yourselves? How many of you answer yourselves? Don't raise your hand on that one. Basically, meditation is the same idea. You're to talk to yourself about what God's Word means, what God's Word's about, what I'm supposed to do with God's Word. That's the idea of meditating. Most of you are familiar with these verses from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What's the key? Meditate on the law day and night. Continually talks to himself about the Word of God, what it means, what I should do with it. A lot of people don't really have an idea what to do with meditation. Next few slides I took out of our new members handbook. This is something we give to our new members when they join. How do you med- meditate on a scripture? And here's just some ideas. First thing is, picture it. If it's a narrative, you can read it, kind of picture what was going on. What was this woman at the well in John 4 going through? What was she thinking of? And kind of get an idea in mind, what's happening? How does she react to this? How would you react to this? Pronounce it. Say the verse out loud, emphasizing a different word each time. I can do all things through Christ. So you'd say, I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do. And think about what does that mean if I do that? Paraphrase it. Now this you got to be a little careful of because you don't want to make sure you misinterpret the verse. But try to put the verse in your own words. What do you think it means? Find a paraphrase that will help you understand what it means and think about what does this mean for me? Personalize it. Some of the promises, by the way, all the promises in Scripture don't apply to every one of us. you got that figured out. There are some promises specifically for some groups and people and not us. But the ones that do apply to all of us, sometimes put your own name in it to remind yourself, by the way, this applies to me. God wants to direct this at me. What does this mean to me if this promise comes to pass? Pray it. Some of you know we've told you, pray Scripture. It's okay. It reminds you what Scripture is, reminds you what Scripture should be used for. You're not plagiarizing, you're not stealing words, it's okay. You're really part of meditating on Scripture by praying it. I have to know God's Word, both by meditating and then understanding what's written in it. I must know what's written in it. We won't go back to Deuteronomy 17, but you remember what the kings of Israel were told to do to be successful? They had to write out a copy of Scripture for themselves, keep it next to them so every night they could read and know what was in Scripture and then do what it was there so they would act rightly toward their subjects. Well, if it's important for them to do, is it important for us to do? Must be. Psalm 119, the whole psalm is about what? Who knows? The Word of God. And over and over and over in that psalm, you'll hear the psalmist say, so I don't forget your word, so I don't forget your word, so I don't forget your word, so I don't forget your word. He'll keep saying that over and over. So I store your word up. Why is it so important? Because it's the first step in understanding what's successful to God. Number one, if it has to do with doing what God says, I better know what God tells me to do. Second thing, we'll stop on this one. It's not just knowing God's Word, it's doing it, isn't it? Verse 7 Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law. Verse 8 So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. It's not enough just to know God's Word. It's not enough to be able to pass a Bible quiz. The quiz is this. Will you openly practice God's Word? You want to know what takes success? And this is the word for openly do something. I have to openly practice God's Word. The more I practice God's Word openly, the more successful I am in God's eyes. Then not James say the same thing? Don't just be hearers of the Word. Be what? Yeah, because if you're just a hearer, you deceive yourself. You think I'm really learning and you're not. You think I'm really doing what God wants and you're not. You're not being successful at all. You're deceived. So, not only know God's word, you have to then do what you know God's word says. And then we'll go back the next week and you're going to see a little word in here we all hate. Go back and read this passage for yourself and see how many times he uses the word all. You mean I can't just pick and choose the parts I like of Scripture? I can, but I'm not going to be successful. If I leave something out that I know I should do, no success. You understand we haven't really defined success from God's eyes yet? Sorry, that's next week. Let's pray. Father, we are a people that are concerned with getting what we want. It's something we all struggle with. We do fear failure. But you're going to have to help change our thinking and help us to think more like you tell us in Scripture. And not worry about what the world thinks and what the world says is important. But to start looking at what you say is important for us to do. Help us to be dedicated more and more to keep learning more of your word. And not just learn it, but to do something with it. To meditate on it, to think about it. And then see how it will affect how we live our lives a prayer this in your name. Amen.